If you would like to borrow a Bible, why don't you go ahead and just raise your hand and the ushers will bring you a Bible. You can leave it in your pew after you're done. I know there's a lot going on this time of year and our church services are all over the place. We were at the Orrington a few weeks back. Now we have a 930 service. I know some of you were gone last week on a retreat. So if you blink, you can miss things. And uh, we've said a few things last week. I just want to make sure that maybe some of you weren't here. They're not posted anywhere. She wouldn't know about it. But um, I know we, we, were, we have a trip going to Haiti in about a month. And I know some of you wanted to go on that, but it filled up pretty quickly. Uh, well, we have another trip in August going to Kenya. So I just want to kind of just throw that out to you. If you want to know more information about that, ask somebody that was here last week or, or come see me. I just uh, the, we have an orphan trip uh, caring for AIDS orphans in Kenya in August. So if you were pumped about going to Haiti and you got pushed aside, well, there we got an opportunity in Kenya. I've just finished reading a, a really good book, and since we have no screen this morning, I can't show you the book nor any quotes from it, so you guys are really going to have to follow along with me and pay attention this morning. But the book I, I just finished re- reading was by Don Middle, Miller. It's called A Million Miles in a Thousand Years. And the subtitle is How I Learn to Live a Better Story. And he starts the book off this way. Imagine you went to go see a movie And the movie was about a guy who really wanted to buy a Volvo, a car, okay? And the the movie was about a guy who saved his money to buy a Volvo, and he was really excited about it. And he went and purchased the car and drove it off the lot and tested the windshield wipers. And that was the entire movie. Would that movie be uh, a very moving movie? And meaningful to you? Would that be a beautiful storyline that you would go home and you would blog about it? And you would tell your friends about this awesome movie you saw about this guy who bought a Volvo and tested the windshield wipers. It was an awesome... No! That that would be a terrible movie and not a beautiful movie. And you would demand your money back because nobody wants to go see a movie about a guy Who's going to buy a Volvo? And yet, we spend our lives living these stories. We live these stories over and over again, and we have this expectation that our lives should somehow feel meaningful. Miller says, the truth is, if if what we choose to do with our lives won't make a, a story meaningful, it won't make a life meaningful either. So if I, if I came up to you and I said, look, I, I asked your parents or your friends or someone who knows you to tell me your story, would it be a very meaningful story? Would it be a beautiful story? Like, tell me your life story. And if it's not a very meaningful or beautiful story, chances are it's, it's not a very meaningful life. And if your story's not meaningful, guess what? You need to change your story. And that, that's, a, that's a polite way of saying, you need to change your life. And what's really cool about you being here this morning, I don't think you're wasting your time being here this morning, because this morning we are going to look at a, a most awesome and beautiful story. 
And, and what I'm hoping is that it will encourage you and spur you on to start living meaningful and beautiful stories and, and living a meaningful and beautiful life. So let's turn to the book of Matthew. We're, we're still in the book of Matthew. Turn to Matthew chapter 26. We've been going through Matthew, and now we're in chapter 26. We are now entering this portion of Matthew, which is called the Passion of Our Lord Jesus Christ. Passion is a, a Greek and has Greek and Latin origins, that, that word, and it's a reference to the events surrounding the suffering of our Lord, like when you see the passion of the Christ in the movie, you're like, why is it called passion? Well, it's just talking about his suffering and the events leading up to his death. And over the next several weeks up until Easter, we're going to be looking at the passion of our Lord Jesus Christ. So as Jesus is, is starting to move toward the cross, we're going to begin with two stories today of entrapment and betrayal. And in the middle of these two stories between entrapment and betrayal is a beautiful story of this woman. And what she does is so beautiful. Try not to read ahead if you can. What she does is so beautiful that Jesus wants her story repeated throughout history. In fact, if you want to just jump to verse 13, look at verse 13 of chapter 26. Jesus says, Truly I say to you, Wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Wow! Her actions were so meaningful and so beautiful that Jesus wants her story told throughout time, and he wants her story to accompany the preaching of the gospel. That's pretty serious. That's a pretty serious story. That's a beautiful story that Jesus wants us to carry throughout time in line with the gospel. That's pretty amazing. But before we look at that beautiful story, like I said, we have two other stories, one of entrapment and one of betrayal. So let's jump in. Verse 1. Here we go. When Jesus had finished all these sayings, he said to his disciples, you know that after two days the Passover is coming, and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. The context of the passion of the Lord Jesus Christ is the Passover, which was coming in two days at sundown on Thursday. And Passover, as you may know, is a celebration of the Israelites being delivered out of Egypt. And as the Passover approaches, Jesus predicts what is going to happen to him before we even know the details. Before the plot even unfolds, Jesus makes a prediction of his betrayal and eventual death. It's not an accident what happened to Jesus. He prophesied it, predicted it, and was in complete control of it. Verse 3. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people gathered in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. But they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. So the plot unfolds. We have this holy religious huddle plotting and conspiring against Jesus. The group plans to eliminate Jesus by stealth, by this secret arrest, which would eventually lead to his death. But they have to be careful because the crowd kind of thinks that Jesus might be the Messiah that he might be the deliverer, the one who come that will 
deliver them from Rome. And check it out. During the Passover, Jerusalem is packed out with pilgrims. And when they come for Passover, messianic expectations are high. We need a deliverer for Rome. Maybe Jesus is going to be that deliverer. So what they need to be very careful of, if they arrest him and the crowd thinks he's the Messiah, then they're going to go crazy, they're going to riot, and then Rome will come, clamp down on them, and the Jewish leadership will lose their authority and position. They don't want that to happen. So they have to be careful. And they say, what we're going to do, we are going to wait till the Passover is done, and then we're going to arrest him. That way, we will avoid a riot. Are, are, you, t- are you seeing two conflicting plans here? Jesus says, in two days, they're going to get me. And they say, let's wait till after the Passover to get them. Two different plans. And you kind of go, well, which, which one's right? Well, well, God's plan is always right. And the religious leadership's plans changed because along came an opportunity. And that opportunity is named Judas. And now Judas is on the scene. Jump down to verse 14. If you need to turn the page, whatever. Jump down to verse 14. Then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, remember him, went to the chief priest and said, What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver. And from that moment, he sought an opportunity to betray Jesus. So he, Judas is perfect for this. I mean, he's, he's in the inner circle. He's one of the 12. And he is going to betray Jesus. And you kind of just want to go up to Judas and say, dude, what were you thinking? Like, why, why did you do this? And there's been a lot of rationale to get behind his motivation. Maybe he was following Jesus and Jesus just wasn't fulfilling his expectations. Maybe he's a little bit disillusioned by Jesus who's not stepping up to bring this crushing... Uh, his foot down on a Rome. Maybe his expectations are just not there. And so he's just trying to find a way to get rid of Jesus. And here's his opportunity. But chances are, he's just a greedy guy. Did you know that Judas was in charge of the money bags, the treasury? And I guess when no one was looking, he would stick his hands in and he'd take a little bit out for himself. It says that. He's, he's a greedy guy. And here's an opportunity to get rid of Jesus and make a little cash on the side. So he agrees to betray Jesus for these 30 pieces of silver. I just told you two stories, ones of entrapment, ones of betrayal. And they are stories that we are still reading 2,000 years later. They've been told down through the ages, and we cannot believe that the same religious leaders that were anticipating the Messiah, who should have known that he was coming from the Scriptures, ended up killing him. What a crazy story. We, We can't believe the story of Judas close to Jesus, saw Jesus do the miracles, heard Jesus' teaching, and for 30 measly pieces of silver, he betrayed Jesus. We cannot believe those two stories, but those same two stories are told throughout the ages. And since we're on the theme of stories, and as I was telling you about that book I was reading by Don Miller, he says, the ambitions we have will become the stories we live. The ambitions we have will become the stories we live. So these leaders had ambitions of a power and authority, and and Judas had ambitions of greed. Miller was explaining that uh, this past year he was going through his checkbook because it was tax time. It's tax time for many of you. I hope you're getting your taxes ready. Uh, Miller was going through his checkbook looking for tax write-offs, things for work. 
with regard to work-related expenses. And so at first, he started going through his checkbook. He was really excited to think, okay, I'm going to find some things that I can write off for my taxes. And as he went through his checkbook, he realized that the things he spent money on indicated his ambitions and the stories he was living. Did you ever think about it that way? That the things you spend money on indicates your ambitions, and it will indicate the stories you're living. And so he started going through his checkbook, and he realized that he bought a vacuum cleaner that was high-tech, but he never used it. And then he bought a new truck, and he moved from a house to a, a really nice condo, and he's sitting there, and he's looking at it, all his purchases that are describing his ambitions, and you know what he realized? Those aren't very good stories. They're stories of buying a vacuum cleaner or a truck or moving into a new condo. It's like, that's, those aren't very good stories. And, and what happens, we start to live these stories in our, because our ambitions are showing the stories we live. Our ambitions are showing what's important to us. And, and they're not good stories. It's stories of buying the Volvo and then the story of buying a new gadget and the story of taking this wonderful trip and then living it up in retirement. And you, we keep living these stories. And eventually, at the end of our lives, like a movie, the credits start to roll. And we're like, what was the point of that? And if your stories are not very beautiful, they show that your ambitions are, are off. And chances are your life is not very beautiful as well. And so I think we need a better story. We need a beautiful story. And in between these stories of entrapment and betrayal, we have this beautiful story given to us by this woman. Let's look at her story. Look at verse 6. Now, when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper. Now, that's already starting off as a good story. Jesus is at Simon the leper's house. What a great story. Do you think he still has leprosy? No, it's kind of probably pretty gross. They would live isolated. They wouldn't live in town. Jesus probably healed him. And, of course, Jesus is doing his normal thing, staying at someone's house who used to have leprosy, who people are still avoiding this guy, Simon. So the story's already starting off good. Verse 7, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask, a very expensive ointment, <coughs> and she poured it on his head as he reclined at the table. Now, from the account in John 12, we know that this is Mary. Remember Mary? Not his mom, but Mary, the, si- uh, the sister of Lazarus. Remember, Jesus raised him from the dead. Now, it was common when you would have meals. I, I know you don't do this at your house. We do it at ours. No, I'm just kidding. But when people come in, you put a little bit of oil on their head, just, especially the important guests, they get a lot more oil. And you kind of want to just make this festive atmosphere in the house. And so that's what you do, a little bit of oil. But this woman, Mary, goes over the top. She comes in and she takes this alabaster uh, flask. And we know that she smashes the top off. It was, I guess it was sealed smash it off, and she's like pouring it all on him. It's like running down him, running down his beard. I mean, it's like over the top. Now, I want you to understand, this is not some cheap 
perfume. This is not the cheap stuff that you played with as a kid until they stunk up your house. And if you're a parent and you have kids and they get into perfume and it just, like, what have you girls been doing in here? It's just been spraying around all that gross, cheap perfume that stinks the house up. This is not the cheap stuff. This is the expensive heirloom type stuff that was passed down to her probably from her 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 mom and it's and it's worth about a year's worth of salary we're told from another verse maybe about twenty five thirty thousand dollars just totally poured on jesus head and you kind of got to wonder what is going on why is she doing this and i know jesus is important but uh, uh that much money just gone well maybe She's really thankful that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Thank you, Jesus, poor. Or maybe she's anointing Jesus as the Messiah. The Messiah is here, pouring on him. Or maybe, as we'll see later, she's preparing him for burial, pouring on him. But see, I don't think she has any of those things in her mind. I don't think she's being all calculated. I just think she just comes up and she's like, Jesus, I worship you. I love you. I'm going to give this sacrificial offering to you. I'm going to, Jesus, you're worth so much that no, nothing I have is, is wasted on you. And so she is showing this extravagant love and extravagant devotion. She doesn't care about the cost. Jesus is so valuable to her that she's just going to give him everything. And what she has is this perfume, this oil, and she just pours it all on him. Now, the disciples... They are angry. They are irate. They could not believe this woman would waste all this perfume on Jesus. Look at verse 8. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and, and given to the poor. Now, the disciples, they're fresh off that story of the, the sheep. And the goats, remember that last week? About caring, having compassion for the poor. So that's in their mind. They're like, woman, didn't you listen to the parable Jesus told about the sheep and the goats? Come on. This is such a waste. You need to go out and care for the poor. What are you doing? And the phrase that keeps ringing in my mind from this passage is, why this waste? You've just wasted this perfume Years worth of salary, you could have sold that, and we could, we could feed a lot of poor people. And so we have two, two things going on. The woman, she just extravagant love for Christ. Disciples, why this waste? Let's let Jesus speak. What is his assessment? Is it a waste, or does he receive it? Well, look what Jesus says. Verse 10. <coughs> but Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why do you trouble a woman? For she has done, you see it, a beautiful thing to me. Jesus' verdict is that what the woman has done is beautiful. He doesn't push back her worship and extravagance, but he receives it. He doesn't pop up and say, woman, what are you doing? Are you absolutely crazy? He takes her devotion and sacrificial extravagance, and he calls it, beautiful. Why is it beautiful? A pastor, his name is John Piper, and he describes how this is beautiful. And I wish I could put it up on the screen, this quote, but you just have to listen to it. He says this. This is so good. He says, when the worth of Jesus 
and the love of his followers match. So it's beautiful when the worth of Jesus and the love of his followers match. When the value of his perfections and the intensity of our affections correspond. Let me just kind of interpret that for you. So what makes a beautiful story, if you want to live a beautiful story, if you want to live a a beautiful life, what makes a beautiful story and what makes a beautiful life is when your desires and your actions start to become more aligned with the worth of Jesus. It's it's where if you have these these extravagant sacrifices, you ever do things just kind of crazy, kind of over the top for Jesus, and people kind of call you out on it, but if they really understood the worth of Christ, they would not say that it's extravagant at all. That, that, that's what's going on here. It's where we start to understand the love of Jesus for us and we respond with our love for him and it just elevates Christ. And, and those are beautiful stories because you've got to admit, stories about the Volvo, the gadgets, and all the accolades, they often don't highlight the value of Jesus. You know, that movie about driving a Volvo off the lot, testing the windshield wipers. I mean, I know we try to reinterpret those stories and say, God gave me the Volvo when I was driving off the lot. I had praise music on and I was giving them glory. Maybe that's your story. All right, but chances are those aren't the beautiful stories. Here is a beautiful story of this extravagant, over-the-top sacrifice highlighting the value and beauty of Jesus. And through this whole sermon today, I'm intentionally trying not to tell you any beautiful stories, except for this one. I'm intentionally trying not to give you any illustration or any examples of beautiful stories, because what I think might happen, I'm scared it might happen, is that we would think if we hear an example of a beautiful story, we enter into it and we're content and think that we have lived a beautiful story. It's like maybe you read a book that had a beautiful story and you thought, that's enough. I just read about a beautiful story. Or if you ever watch this this TV show, uh, Extreme Home Makeover, you you come in and and they have this junky house with a crazy situation where the families are all messed up and someone's dying. It's so sad. And they come in with thousands of dollars and they fix up this home. It's beautiful. Move that bus. The bus moves and they're all excited and you're crying. Yeah, and you're crying and you think you just lived a beautiful story. You didn't. You're just watching it on TV. You didn't do anything. And so if I start telling you beautiful stories, you may think, oh, I just lived a beautiful... No, you didn't do anything. You just listened. So I'm not going to tell you any stories today because I want you to start thinking about, okay, Where can I start to create and live out my own beautiful story? And what would that be? And it's going to be different from me, and you're going to have difference from someone else. Because I don't want you to be like the disciples. Because they're not getting it. They still have a lot to learn. Let's finish up with the disciples. They're still not getting it. Look at verse 11. For you always have the poor with you, but she will not always have me. And pouring this anointment on my body, she has done it to prepare for my burial. So disciples, they're, they're concerned for the poor. That's right. But at the moment, guess what? That's just not a priority. 
And Jesus, he, he's not dissing the poor. I don't think Jesus is against the poor here. But at this moment, right now, the focus must be on his death. They're already, always going to have the poor around, and they should definitely care for the poor. But at this time, the poor must come in second place due to the priority of preparing Jesus for his death. That's interesting to say all this oil comes on. I mean, you've never seen this before. This has never happened to your house where someone gets oil poured all over them, and they're like, all right, thank you for preparing me for death. No way. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, she has prepared me for death. Generally, during this culture, when someone was killed on a cross or was about to be executed as a criminal, there wasn't these proper burial procedures where you would have ointment and perfume put on you to prepare the body. No. And so Jesus is saying, this woman has prepared me for death. She has got me ready to be crucified on the cross, so to speak, and and put in the ground. So her, her act here highlights the cross and death of Jesus Christ, which we know brought us salvation. And so he finishes with verse 13. Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Part of the gospel that is proclaimed in all the world includes Jesus' death and burial, which is, of course, followed by his glorious resurrection. And part of the gospel that we're proclaiming is that we have one named Jesus who died on the cross for sinners people like us, took our sin upon him, and God's wrath was poured out on Jesus on the cross, and then he was buried and then rose again, and through faith in him, we can be saved. So that's the glorious gospel we proclaim. But Jesus says, her story will also be told when the gospel is proclaimed. And you've got to ask, well, Why? Why, Jesus, do you want us to keep telling this woman's story? And here we are, 2,000 years later. I'm telling you the story. Why? Because you're supposed to think, aha, that's the way I'm supposed to be. You're supposed to think, oh, I get it. I'm supposed to be like that woman. Jesus wants her her story told so that we can emulate her so that we can follow her example of this sacrificial, over-the-top extravagance and worship of Jesus. That's, it's like we want to enter into her story and start to live it out in our lives. It's a beautiful story. It's a beautiful life. And that's her story. What is yours? What's your story? How do you start even to get to a point where you can live a story like this or a life like this? Because I I know many of you, many of you, you don't like your story. You don't like what's going on in your life. And if we told your story, it would be kind of just like nothing. It'd be kind of like driving the Volvo off the lot. It's like just, what is that? It doesn't feel very meaningful. And And I've talked to you and you just feel like there's something missing in your life where it's not this beautiful, meaningful story. So how can we get to a point in our life where we can put our finger on it and say, you know what? I want to change my story. I want to change my life. And how can we start living these meaningful and beautiful stories in our life of extravagant worship to Christ? How can we get to that point? I'm going to share a few things here with you that may be helpful to start to get you to live this 
meaningful, beautiful story. I don't know if it'll be helpful or not. I'm hoping it will. But for starters, I think the first thing you have to do is you have to daily estimate the worth and value of Jesus. Number one, you have to daily estimate the worth and value of Jesus. I don't know if you know this, but it is amazing to me how we forget from day to day how valuable Jesus is. I could be reading the Bible yesterday, and I could be exalting Christ and so excited about Jesus and praying and communing with him, and then wake up this morning, and it's like I leak. It's like I leak the gospel out of me. I like leak. I, I, I saw him valuable yesterday and worth much yesterday, but today I feel like he's not worth as much as a new computer, or he's not worth as much as the Volvo, or he's not worth as much as a new house. He doesn't seem valuable. And here's what happens to me. I find myself starting to mentally live alternative stories. It's been one of my biggest struggles recently, is that I've stopped valuing Jesus as highly as I should, and I start having these mental alternative stories. And one of my alternative stories goes like this. I need, and for some of you are my friends, you hear me talk about this and accountability and stuff and at prayer with the elders. I'm like, you know, I just have this mental story where I just want to be uh, financially stable or financially making it. Anybody ever have that alternative story? Like, there's got to be something I can do to be more financially viable in life or more financially flourishing in life. And, and it's, it's, I'm not talking about financial responsibility. I'm talking about creating alternative stories where I'm rolling. And I'm a pastor, I can't play the lottery, but maybe you can buy one and give me a ticket, you know? You know, you know, you get these alternative stories where you're like, I want to be financially viable or, or just, and I'm thinking, whoa. And, and you create these stories and you start to get off and you start thinking about possessions and, and finances and, and, and like, whoa, 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 whoa. Daily, I got to value the worth of Jesus. He says things in his word, like Hebrews 13, 5. Uh, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. So I've, I've got God. I can be content with what I have. And I know that right now, preaching to you this morning, but I'm going to leak overnight. <laughs> And in the morning, i got to get back in the Word and remind myself, oh, Jesus, you're so valuable. So if we're going to change our stories, we have to have this daily abiding in His Word and prayer where we're reminding ourselves of the value of Christ because we forget. And as we start to value Christ, then we can start to take these small little steps of over-the-top extravagance. We can take these small steps of faith, and just know that that none of your efforts will be wasted on Christ. None of your your efforts and your talents and your energy or your money will ever be considered wasted on, on Jesus. To quote Piper again, he says, If any voice tells you to moderate your love for Jesus, do not listen. Let your affections for Jesus be lavish. 
let your affections for Jesus be lavish. If people ever say to you, you think you're taking this Jesus stuff a little too serious, do you think you're going to be saved? Do you think you're going to be able to make it if you keep going all out for Christ? That's good. Let your affections be lavish for Christ. Don't let anybody ever talk you out of these lavish affections. So in your giving, be extravagant. In your risk-taking, be over the top. In your serving, be sacrificial. Over the top, extravagant for Christ. Let your affections be lavish. So if if we're daily estimating his value and worth, and we're taking these little small steps of extravagance, highlighting the value of Jesus, the last thing I want to share with you, this is really good, is to surround yourself with people who are living good stories. Surround yourself with people who are living good stories. To quote Miller one more time, he says, you become like the people you interact with. And if your friends are living boring stories, you probably will too. If your friends are living boring stories, you probably will too. It is amazing how we rub off on each other. If my story's boring, yours is probably going to be boring too. If yours is not much faith, I'm not going to have much faith. It's amazing how we kind of feed off of one another. And I'm not telling you to go out here and diss all your boring friends. I'm not saying that at all. But I'm saying we need to start surrounding ourselves with people who are living these beautiful stories. And that, that kind of rubs off on us. And that, that's kind of the point of why we have these ethos communities is we want to be around other people who are living these beautiful stories, these stories of faith, stories of extravagance. You know what I like to see more and more happen within the body of Christ is what happens in, in businesses or what happens for those of you who are in school. I don't know what kind of your, your degrees are. But what happens in business or, or at, at jobs or at school is you often have these little groups of people and you're planning stuff to create new gadgets or you're dreaming new plans for new ventures. And there's this excitement in the air. There's this feeding off of one another. If you've ever been in those environments, I know maybe the business school here at Northwestern really does it, but they're kind of feeding off one another. And they come up with these crazy, great ideas. I'd love to see that more and more in the church where we're in our ethos communities and saying, hey, I thought about doing this. And you're like, really? That's crazy. Well, maybe I should try to do that too. And you just feed off of one another with this extravagance where you're just lifting up the value of Jesus so you're not alone. So start surrounding yourself with people who are living these beautiful stories. And one of the things is, is that some of you, when you start getting around those people, they like scare you. <laughs> yeah? You're like, man. You're like a Jesus freak, aren't you? And, they, and they, they, their stories like kind of frighten you. Don't be frightened. <laughs> Come close. <laughs> Get close to them. Maybe they'll rub off on you, and you'll start to see what their perspective is and how they're just in love with Christ. And I want to see this happen within our congregation when we're feeding off one another and living these beautiful, extravagant stories. So I'm just wondering, what's your story? What's your life look like? Are, are you content? Is this, this is where you want to be? Does your life highlight the worth and value of Jesus? If not, it's time, time to make some changes. Time to make some adjustments. Time to, to put him in view and lift him higher and higher so we can together start to live beautiful stories because we're caught up in, in, in God's beautiful story and we're caught up in the beauty of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ.
Let's pray. Lord, we can only be this people that you have created to live these stories that you have ordained for us to live. You have created good works for us to walk in by grace. And it's such a beautiful story that we're caught up in, in the gospel and the cross and forgiveness of Jesus. And so, Lord, if, if some of us are just living these alternative stories that are, are distracting, alternative stories of, of sin, uh, things of this, this, this earth that are, that are off, I just ask that you would start to bring us back on to get caught up in your beautiful story. And even, even though our stories may be filled with suffering and pain and hard relationships and financial hardships, Lord, we can still be extravagant and over-the-top in our love for you. So, Lord, we just ask that you be changing our stories and changing our lives to reflect more of your value and your worth. In Jesus' name, amen.